How far would you go to investigate a murder in your family? What if one parent was accused and convicted of killing the other? One Vancouver woman has made reopening the case her life. I'm Andrew Thien, and this is Beat Check with the Oregonian. Before we start, a quick thank you to our sponsor, Pacific Source, for supporting the show. Up next, reporter Doug Perry talks about his four-part series digging deep into a murder that occurred in Vancouver more than three decades ago. It's a story of a family torn apart and one woman's mission to seek justice. The story brings together old-fashioned shoe leather investigations, new genetic technologies, and a potential tie to an international crime. Here's our conversation. Doug Perry, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. So, Doug, you dropped this four-part series uh, this month about a crime that occurred decades ago. How did you first hear about this story, and why did it interest you? Uh, I heard about it in the Oregonian. Uh, this story is uh, is about the uh, 1989 murder of a Vancouver woman, an Iranian immigrant named uh, Effie Intazari. Her estranged husband, Mohammed Intazari, or Mike, uh, was convicted of the crime, spent 16 years in prison. He died a few years ago. Uh, their daughter, Apune, you know, didn't believe her, her father was guilty. Mm-hmm. She filed a, a civil lawsuit in 2019 against 10 uh, John and Jane Doe's based on her own uh, decades-long investigation of the case. And, and we did a news brief about the lawsuit, uh, four or five paragraphs. That was uh, the first I had ever heard about the murder. And there was uh, one sentence in the brief uh, about an alleged uh, international criminal conspiracy uh, that really piqued my interest. <laughs> it, it was clear that, that Pune's conclusions uh, went far beyond what she was revealing in the lawsuit. So I called her up and I asked her to tell me everything. So we'll get to the lengths that Pune went to investigate uh, her, her mother's murder in a minute. But I, I, I hope you can just kind of tell us a little bit about who, who were Effie and Mike and Tazari. Um, can you tell us a little bit about them? Effie and Mike uh, separately immigrated to the U.S. from Iran in the 1960s when they were both in their early 20s. They met in California, soon got married. They were uh, a beautiful, stylish couple. Uh, Old family photos are are really quite striking. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mike was an engineer, by all accounts, uh, a brilliant, exacting man. Uh, Effie was this kind of small, cheerful woman. Everyone who knew her uh, said that she just laughed all the time. She also had her own ambitions. Uh, she went back to school when her kids got older. And, and uh, as she and Mike uh, headed for divorce, uh, she started a daycare business. Obviously, you mentioned they both came over um, you know, as young people from Iran and, and met in the States. Um, wh- when, did they, when did they settle in the uh, Portland, Vancouver area? They were in California, and then they went back to Iran for a while. Uh, then uh, shortly before the revolution, they managed to get out, and that's when they landed in Vancouver. Uh, they both became American citizens, and uh, and their kids, you know, went to high school in in Vancouver. What can you tell us about the the circumstance of Effie's murder? Uh, what what do we know, and and what can you say about how how she was killed? Well, in in the days and weeks before the murder. Uh, Effie had hinted to her daughter and to others that that she had gotten mixed up with uh, some bad people, as she called them. 
she was vague about these people. And so at the time, uh, Pune didn't think much about it. Uh, Pune was a student at Washington State. Uh, and uh, Effie had told her not to come home for spring break that year, which was very unusual. Hmm. Effie you know, always wanted her daughter to visit whenever possible. In retrospect, of course, uh, Pune recognizes that her mother was scared about something. On May 1st, 1989, Effie left her apartment in Vancouver at six o'clock in the morning to go to work. She walked to her car in the building's parking lot, and someone came up behind her and shot her in the head. She died instantly. Uh, no one saw the shooting, uh, but many residents heard the gunshot. A couple of people saw uh, a yellow car speeding away from the scene. It, it was it was a shockingly brazen murder, just right out in the open in broad daylight. Hmm. Uh, no one, you know, had any reason to think Effie had enemies, so uh, suspicion uh, naturally fell to uh, her husband. And obviously, uh, we'll share links to the four-part series in, in the episode notes, and people, if they haven't read it, will we'll dive in. But, I mean, what was the case uh, against Mike? Uh, the case against Mike seemed relatively solid, uh, though it was mostly circumstantial, which isn't all that unusual. The husband is always the obvious suspect in a case like this. And Mike and Effie were going through a divorce uh, with some evidence that it was an acrimonious split. The problem for the prosecution uh, is that nobody saw Mike near the scene of the crime. There was no blood on his clothing or, or gun residue on his hands that day. Uh, and there was a fresh handprint at the scene that, that didn't belong to him. Hmm. But police did find a gun in Mike's car, which turned out to be the key evidence used to convict. Now, the strange thing, uh, however, is that they only found the gun when they searched the car a second time. They did not find it the first time they searched the vehicle, just a few hours after the murder. Hours later, um, when they decided to arrest Mike, they searched it a second time. Hmm. Now, Pune believes that conspirators planted that gun. Uh, the gun was indeed her father's gun, but she believes that that some other people at some point in the hours between the first and second searches planted it. She can't prove this, uh, but it certainly is inexplicable that the police did not find it in the first search. And when, when the gun was eventually discovered, it was more or less in plain sight. Yeah. And you, uh, you know, chronicled how law enforcement experts can attest to that. That is highly unusual that uh, you would miss a gun on the first sweep. Extremely unusual. I mean, the, the some of the, private investigators who uh, you know are working for Pune are, are former cops mm -hmm. and uh, you know they can't believe that it could have been missed on on the first uh, search it, it makes no sense well let's talk about Pune because she's really um, you know obviously her, her mother and, and father are characters in the story but she is uh, kind of a remarkably dogged person by all accounts how has she gone about doing this and funding this investigation over so many decades and why is she still pushing to this day pune uh, is very bright uh, and needless to say quite driven uh, the family essentially went broke defending mike and Tazari, uh, which is one of the reasons it's taken pune so many years to get to this point with the case 
Uh, she, as I said, she was in college at the time this happened. Mm-hmm. So she, she finished up her studies, uh, began working. She started an assistant living business some 20 plus years ago, and it grew and became very successful. She also started investing in real estate and, and did very well there. So she became pretty wealthy and she has poured a significant amount of that wealth into this investigation, hundreds of thousands of dollars, in fact, on investigators and forensic work and uh, and lawyers and so forth. Mm-hmm. This has been really the story of her adult life. You know, obviously she has a business and she has a family, but I mean, this is a, a- big chunk of it right is is trying to crack this code on on her mother's murder it really does define her and uh i, I can't help but, but wonder you know if this case does indeed get solved and she has uh she doesn't have it anymore to work on uh if she will kind of feel at at loose ends even if even if it turns out how she wants it to turn out uh because this has been so central to her life for so long you know, it's it, it's interesting. I mean, her you know her father's dead, so this isn't this isn't really for him. Uh, mm-hmm. She she admits she was never particularly close to him. Uh, she wants to prove his innocence, uh, perhaps to take the stain off the family name. Uh, but most of all, she's doing this for her mother. She was very close to her mother, and and she simply wants justice for her. Uh, simply enough, you know, she can't stand the fact, and it is a fact in her mind that the true killer is out there in the world, free and clear. You know, obviously, uh, Doug, you've been a, a journalist for a long time, and we we always come across stories of people who, you know, your loved ones, you, um, you know, if they did something wrong or were convicted of a crime, I mean, it's it's human nature, I think, to to not believe that um, from some someone that you love and are close with. But, I mean, have you ever seen anything <laughs> like this story in your career? I haven't. Um, but, you know, th- this is becoming more uh, commonplace because of, of DNA. Uh, you, you are seeing, you know, you see a few every year now of these very old cases that get brought back up and overturned or changed, mm-hmm. um, you know, with, uh, with DNA evidence. And, and that's if something changes here, if, you know, the, the case is formally reopened uh, and arrest is made, it'll be because of DNA. That's, that's the big thing that changed in this case. The Pacific Northwest people in the Portland, Vancouver area and Seattle and whatnot. I mean, we, we, I think we've long had a history where people like to think of it as a progressive place. I'm wondering like what role, if any, um, the, the fact that uh, Effie and Mike were, you know, Iranian Americans, um, did did that play any role um, from Pune's perspective and in, in the level of rigor that went into investigating this this murder, their status as, you know, as immigrants, um, you know, obviously citizens. But uh, I'm, I'm wondering if, if she had talked about that at all. Did that play any role in the level of attention that investigators gave to other options other than Mike? Pune hasn't specifically said that she believes uh, that played a role. Uh, her father's uh, divorce attorney uh, did believe that that had something to do with it. You know, that uh, uh, they, they were Iranian, they were brown people. Uh, and so Vancouver 30 years ago was very white, much whiter than it is now. And that, that played a role. Uh, also, of course, uh, 
We're talking about just, uh, you know, a few years after the Iranian hostage crisis. So there was still a great deal of antipathy in this country uh, towards Iranians. Yeah. Um, so it's certainly possible, um, but uh, it's, you know, really hard to say. Uh, and I mean, it does, it did make sense that they would, that law enforcement would zero in on Mike. You know, like I said, it, in, in, in this kind of a, um, case it quite often is the estranged husband um, mm-hmm. um but there's so many anomalies in in this case um that you would think that they would have worked harder to uh look at other options and it, it does seem odd that they uh, at least according to the, all the police reports uh, that i've seen um did not make much effort uh, to find the the yellow car that was seen, uh, you know, driving away from the scene and uh, did not pursue uh, the concerns that that Pune uh, expressed at the time, which is that she, you know, thought her mother was afraid and uh, didn't think it had anything to do with her father. Yeah, the the yellow car piece of of uh, your reporting and and of Pune's investigative work was really <laughs> pretty remarkable. Um, it's it's uh, it's like something out of a a crime thriller. The the level of work she put into it. Can you briefly describe kind of how she went about tracking down information about that vehicle? It, it really is just old school uh, investigative technique. Uh, you know, she. Uh, uh, she got the description of the vehicle, the, the, the color, the make, the year. And uh, she went to the state of Washington uh, you know, Department of Motor Vehicles. Uh, this was, you know, right before the Internet became, you know, a big thing. Right. Uh, so it, it wasn't online at this time. It was these records uh, of the. Uh, of who owned vehicles in the, in the state were kept, you know, in binders. Uh, and they were, you know, every year you go year by year of who, you know, bought, sold a car. Uh, and she went through those binders uh, for years and uh, found all of the ones that, that matched this description of the car. And she started tracking down the owners of every single one. Um, and she eventually found the car that she believes uh, was the car that was there and found uh, who had the car at that time. And uh, there is uh, other uh, evidence that suggests that this person uh, knew uh, Effie and Mike and uh, other evidence that potentially links them to uh, what happened. Remarkable stuff. Let's take a break and we'll come back and talk a bit more with Doug Perry. So, Doug, what has changed uh, in this case in in the past year or two? The biggest change came about a year ago with with new DNA results that connect Pune's chief suspect uh, to the clothing her mother wore on the morning she died. This, uh, needless to say, was huge. We actually were about to publish this series last year when this DNA match happened. Uh, that the match finally got the Clark County Prosecutor's Office seriously interested in what Pune has been doing. And we held off so that we didn't step on any new investigative efforts. 
Uh, a couple months ago, uh, Clark County officers contacted Pune's suspect. And so uh, we went forward with publishing. Mm. Uh, DNA, of course, has been around for a few decades now. Um, but uh, for this case, uh, they needed to come up with uh, refinements in examining DNA mixtures uh, before they could reach conclusions with what they found on Effie's sweater. And those, they, they kept telling Pune, you know, for years, really, uh, it, it's coming. They're working on, mm-hmm. on these advancements. And finally, this has come about in, the, in just the past couple of years. And Pune made use of it. You know, obviously, there are things that you can't talk about that we, that we, uh, that you've learned through your reporting and your um, conversations with her. But I mean, is is she scared at all about her safety? I mean, if indeed someone who who was responsible for her mother's murder is out there, um, that that could be alarming. Sure, these people that she believes are responsible for murdering her mother, she says, are very dangerous. And of course, if she's right that they're involved, then of course they are very dangerous. She's on a mission. Uh, so if, if she's concerned about her safety, she has not expressed that concern to me or to uh, uh, anyone else. Her lawyers, uh, you know, take this very seriously. Uh, the, the safety issue, uh, you know, other than her lead lawyer, uh, all the other lawyers on the case uh, are keeping a low profile, uh, don't want their names mentioned. Uh, so they certainly uh, believe that there's at least some reason to be concerned. Uh, but, uh, you know, Pune is, uh, you know, she's uh, very uh, determined to uh, see this through and she doesn't appear to be scared. What can you say about the um, connection to, you know, some sort of Iranian um, criminal enterprise or what exactly? I mean, what what do we know about about, um, you know, that you can say about what, what sort of uh, relationship there, there was between uh, these alleged killers and any sort of international uh, organization or incident? Kind of in, in brief, um, Pune believes that uh, her mother's identity was stolen in furtherance of uh, uh, intricate uh, international fraud and that uh, it's a a criminal scheme that uh, had been going on for years and continued uh, thereafter. Uh, She believes uh, her mother found out about it. And so that's why she was murdered. Hmm. Uh, And she's, uh, you know, this isn't just, I mean, it's a theory, but it's not just a theory. She's uh, spent years investigating this. She's she even hired an Iranian uh, private investigator uh, to help, you know, uh, insinuate into uh, the Iranian community and, and and talk to some of the people who, uh, you know, know or are involved with the people she considers suspects. Uh, so it's a very complex, and nothing has been proven. Uh, no arrests have been made. 
but she's she's done some remarkable work and has come up with um, some very uh, interesting evidence. Yeah, what's your takeaway from all of this, Doug? And I mean, what sits with you when you think on the totality of her story and you know the the package that that you produce? Well, uh, you know. Well, we published a four-part series of more than 8,000 words in total. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but this story is far from over. Um, uh, the case has not been officially reopened. Uh, the Clark County Prosecutor's Office has taken a very deliberate approach here, as they should. After all, they, they do have a conviction in this case, which mm-hmm. is no small thing. But the work that Pune has done is is really quite remarkable. She has, uh, you know, some very reputable lawyers and private investigators who have worked with her and who have looked at the work that she's done and uh, absolutely believe she's onto something. And at the very least, that Mike and Azari should not have been convicted back in 1990 based on the evidence that was uh, there. So, you know. We'll see. Uh, We should know soon, probably in the next month or so, uh, whether or not law enforcement will make new arrests in this case. If they do, then presumably there will be a new trial and Mike's conviction could be posthumously vacated. If not, uh, well, then it's back to the civil case for Pune. Uh, She has no plans to give up. Well, it's really a remarkable story of, uh, of perseverance and, and, um, really just kind of dogged investigation um, from from one woman and and a team that she was able to put together that's uh, uh, it's really pretty remarkable and thanks so much for for taking time to talk about it thank you Andrew I really appreciate it thanks for listening to beat check with your Oregonian I shared a link to Doug's series in the episode notes if you like this show, give us a five-star rating and a review in Apple Podcasts. It really does help people find the program. Or tell a friend. Help spread the word. If you value our journalism, the best way to show it is with a subscription to Oregon Live. You can do that at OregonLive.com slash pod support. Until next time.